Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. It may seem odd to hear a Christmas message from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, but today, Pastor Jim connects the dots between this historical reference and the story of Jesus, the Son of God. If you're new to the Old Testament, then you will be amazed by the accuracy of references to future events and how often they were ignored or misunderstood by the people of that time. Can you put yourself in their shoes and compare your life today to theirs? Do you know and trust God in every part of your life? Now here's Pastor Jim in the book of Isaiah chapter 9 as he begins his message, A Present from Heaven, Hope. Merry Christmas to you, although I would not be surprised if many of you are struggling to feel merry. You may put a good face on, especially for the kids, but I know for a lot of us deep down, we wonder if the song is true. Is this really the most wonderful time of the year? I think right now, as I look across the landscape of our country, knowing many of you, knowing a lot of different people who are followers of Jesus and who aren't, that it seems to me like there's this dark cloud over our country where people just don't know what the future entails. And safe to say there's a dark cloud over our world where people are wondering, is the world going to be the same as it once was? And I think it's fair to say that that dark cloud, there is a realness to it. That if you're feeling that way, that you're unsure of today's world, you are by no means alone. Many people today feel hopeless, but I hope and pray today the Lord has for you, what's the title of our message, a present from heaven. And we're going to be doing five different messages, not all today, don't worry, five different messages on different presents that the Lord has given to us at this time of year. And the first lesson or the first present is hope, hope. In Isaiah chapter 9, we go back to over 700 years before Jesus was born, and there was a problem in the land. It was God's people's land, but many of the people who were the people of God, the Israelites, had turned away from God. And Isaiah is a prophet of what's known as the southern kingdom. If you don't know the, the story of it, it's after there was King Solomon, then his son Rehoboam took over, and the kingdom split. There's the northern kingdom, which is much larger, and there's the southern kingdom, which has better faith. It's where the city of Jerusalem is. And uh, Isaiah was a prophet of the southern kingdom, the place that was in better shape, spiritually speaking. And like many of the prophets, he was preaching his heart out with little effect, because the people's hearts, and I think we see this in our own country today, people who once had a faith and maybe are not so sure where their faith is today, the people's hearts were far from God. The previous chapters of Isaiah tell us that a lot of the people were not going to be faithful, but some will. Even amongst a religious group of people, there's always going to be some people who will be true believers and then there will always be people who will not be true believers. They're just kind of there, if you will, of all false believers. I think in Isaiah's time, the temple was in Jerusalem. Many had confused the formality of temple worship. We might say in our culture, the formality of going to church. 
They had confused that with true faith and trust in the Lord. And this has been going on for centuries. When Moses was going across the wilderness with the people long before Isaiah's time, it was called the mixed multitude. There were some people that were the real deal, and there's some people that weren't. Jesus said that there were some people that were true believers, but some people had no root. They didn't dig down deep. So what happened when a storm came? The tree went over. But if you have a root, you can hang in there. The apostle Paul said that we should examine ourselves to see if we're really in the faith. Well, why would he say something like that? Because there must be people who are not really in the faith. And so we want to check if we are really one of those people. What do we call it today? Well, today we say that we have basically three groups of people. If you're wondering, pastor talk, what we talk about behind the scenes. We talk about the really devoted, committed followers of Jesus Christ. We talk about people who don't believe in Jesus Christ at all. And then we talk about the mushy middle. You don't want to be in the mushy middle, do you? And if you're here today and you want to follow Jesus Christ, glad you're here. If you're here and you are someone who does not believe in Jesus Christ, I'm super glad that you're here. And if you're in the mushy middle, we want to try to move you out of the mushy middle into the committed follower of Jesus Christ category. Now, the further the people in Isaiah's time were moving away from God, and the same would be true for us, I believe, the darker and more hopeless things were. And the northern kingdom by this time, remember there's a split, northern and southern, kind of, there was like, kind of like a civil war. The northern kingdom's off the rails. They are just not doing well at all. They are so far from God. And the southern kingdom is a bit afraid of them because they're so much larger, wealthier, and you know, who knows when they're gonna come marching down. Yet Isaiah has hope. So if you look back one chapter to me, look back at chapter eight, and I wanna draw your attention to verse 17. Isaiah says this, and I will wait on the Lord. How many of you like waiting? None of you. Okay. Well, let's just make sure we understand what waiting is on the Lord. Waiting is what we do while we're waiting for God to fulfill his promises. Do we understand that? It's not like we're just standing around inactive. Waiting on the Lord is what we do, being faithful while we're waiting for God to fulfill his promises. He says, and I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob. Now, that's where he lives in the smaller southern kingdom, the Jerusalem area. Those people are becoming unfaithful. God is warning them. He's going to warn them for 100 years before they're taken into captivity in Babylon. And he says, I will hope in him. In other words, Isaiah says, I will trust in God, which is a big theme in the book of Isaiah. And he says that he the Lord gives me hope. Not the circumstances of the world, not the way things are going. He, God, is what gives me hope. I don't need everything to be exactly the way I want it in the world because I have the Lord and I have his hope. And so the Lord is clear throughout the book of Isaiah, uh, but when people choose their own way, it's not going to work out well. And we see what happens is both kingdoms begin to make treaties with pagan nations. And what do the pagan nations bring into the promised land? Their religion, their gods, their false gods. And again, the northern kingdom is really in a bad way. And God is telling them, if you try to mix, let's call it Yahwehism, 
following the true and living God with this pagan religion, judgment will come. So let's move ahead a couple verses to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19 through 22. Listen to this warning. And when they say to you, who's they? The people, the pagan people, the unbelieving people who come into the land. When they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter. So speak to the, listen to these people, speak to these people, go after these people. Isaiah replies, should not a people seek their God? How many would you agree with that? Should not a people seek their God? And then he challenges them. Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? Verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, according to the word of God, according to the Bible, it is because there is no light in them. What's happening? The light of God is being sucked out of them because they're chasing after these other things. Verse 21, they will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Verse 22, then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. Merry Christmas. <laughs> that does not sound good, does it? That doesn't sound good at all. Yet when we come into chapter 9, God brings a message of hope to the hopeless. He brings a message of love and grace to those who will be devastated by falling away from God. And oddly enough, how will the hope come to God's people? It will come through a child. Through a child. If you're taking notes, there's four things we want to note today. And number one is the grace of hope. The grace of hope. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. Now, he's talking about the northern kingdom right now. There will be, another version says, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, as when at first he lightly esteemed or brought into contempt the land of, and you may want to circle these in your Bible, Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavenly oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, Galilee is a region, and Zebulun and Naphtali are inside the region. Does anybody know anybody who came from Galilee? Anybody? If you're really old, you know that song, Put Your Hand in the Hand of the Man from Galilee. Right? See, now I know who's old now. I can tell by just by the raising your hand. Some guy walked out after the last service. goes, I Googled it. That song is 52 years old. I said, I must have heard my parents singing it. <laughs> the Christian Standard Bible, which is a new translation, I, I actually love it, makes this verse a little easier to understand. Isaiah 9.1. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times. So he says there was a time when it was tough and there's going to be a time when it's going to be better. When he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. So they left God and God said, okay, you don't need me. I'm going to humble you. 
But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. So there was a point of humbling, but there will be a point of where God comes to them and visits them and gives them hope again. He'll bring honor to them. You say, well, how is all that going to happen? Look at verse 2, Isaiah 9-2. The people who walked in darkness, that would be who? The people of Zebulun and Naphtali have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the, in, the, in the land of the shadow of death, or though, another version says those who lived in a dark land, upon them a great light has shined. So the land of Zebulun and Naphtali were way up in the north. Now remember the north is just, it's not going well up there. It's a terrible thing. They'd completely left God after the kingdom split. They're up in the north. And when, some, when an invader would come into the country from the north, that would be the first area they were hit. It was along a trade route, and it was the first place that Assyria, who was a world superpower at that time, attacked in 733 BC. So we know that Isaiah knows about this. He's writing about this. Yet in the midst of the gloom of chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9, verse 1, Isaiah tells us it's possible for us to have hope. In the middle of this crazy world in which we live in right now, I mean, you want to be gloomy? Watch the news. Or sometimes you see stuff that's on the news and you're like, they are paying no attention to what's going on in the rest of the world. And so Isaiah sees a future on the one hand that's full of distress and full of devastation, but it gives way to hope in verse two that comes via the grace of God. Now, it's interesting when that hope comes, take a guess where it originates, in Galilee, in Galilee, some 700 years later, the home of who? Of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, it was the first place that Jesus preached in the dark town of Zebulun and Naphtali. In fact, Matthew in the New Testament quotes these verses to show that God humbles us not to hurt us. He humbles us so he can honor us. He humbles us so we're not so full of ourselves, so we turn to him, and when we turn to him, he honors us. It's what we call to repent. It means we turn away from the way we're going, and we turn to God. If you will, we come home. We come home to God. If you're not a follower of Jesus, thank you for coming. Really appreciative. If you're another place in the building, you're watching online, hello out there. You're listening on the radio, hello to you, wherever you're listening. But this is a big challenge for every follower of Jesus. In other words, when the world is falling apart, how do we choose to see the world? Everything is not going right. Are we just going to sit around and complain all the time? Or are we going to look at it maybe a little bit differently, knowing that God is in control? We may not like the timing. It's a 700-year gap here in what's going on here. The Bible says a day is like a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years like a day, right? We say minutes is like hours when you're waiting for someone. Obviously, we have a different concept of time than God does. On the one hand, let's be honest. The darkness and distress of the world is real. It's real. 
we cannot deny it. But on the other hand, we can, and as followers of Jesus, we will see it with the hope that Isaiah has. There will come a day when we will see this great hope that Isaiah begins to envision for us. What is the hope? That by the grace of God, God will never let his people go. He will always hold on to them. Let's personalize it. If you are a follower of Jesus, God adamantly refuses to let you go. Doesn't that get anybody a little bit happy? He refuses to let you go. Some of you say, but Pastor Jim, you don't understand how I have really messed up. Well, the place that had ignored God for hundreds of years is the first place Jesus goes to preach. It's the first place where the light of the world goes into that dark place up in the northwest corner, northeast corner, up in the north corner, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Isaiah sees the grace of hope. Isaiah sees that the light overpowers the darkness. And do you know something? You see that every single day. You may not think much about it. Sometimes God gives us signs to remind us of him, and we don't think much about it, so maybe I want to change your thing. How many of you are morning people? Okay, how many of you are not morning people? Oh, we'll change that. <laughs> every day, the darkness of night, the sun comes up, and the light returns. You see it every day of your life. So what is God telling us? That I know when it seems dark, when it seems like the sun will never rise, when it seems like the light will never shine, I will rise up the light, and the light will overpower the darkness, and you will not have to worry. That takes us to number two, the praise of hope, the praise of hope. Verse three, he says, you have multiplied the nation, Isaiah talking to God, and increased its joy. Some of your versions say gladness. They rejoice. Some versions say they're glad before you. According to the joy of the harvest. Another version says like the, the gladness of the harvest. Now for us, this is a, so far removed from what most of us are. We get hungry, what do we do? We go to the refrigerator. Like, there's nothing to eat. If you had a teenager, that's like, the whole refrigerator's full. There's nothing to eat. <laughs> then two days later, there's literally nothing to eat. Especially you got teenage boys. I had two of them. And it was like, put a feeding bag underneath there. <laughs> they just keep eating and eating, and they don't gain a pound. I talk to my boys. I'm like, do you know, I eat probably one-fifth of what I ate when I was your age. And now they're in their 20s, and well, one's 31. But they just don't seem to gain any weight. So that's not the luxury anymore. But, you know, we were meant to be hungry. We were meant to have times of hunger and times of eating. And so when before the harvest, there was not a lot of food around. So when the harvest came, what would the people do? They would rejoice. It's time to eat. It's time to be joyful. It's time to be glad. And then, then he goes on and he says, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. 
So they would, like an army that would win and they would get the treasure from the victory. So he's saying that there's, God, what you've done or what you're going to do is you're going to make it. So we're going to be like the people during harvest, full of joy. We're going to be like the army who won. Isaiah is teaching us that the Lord is the Lord of joy. He's the Lord of gladness. He is the giver of joy. He is the giver of gladness. He frees and liberates his people so they can celebrate. Verse four, he talks about when the oppression will end. He says, for you have broken, some versions say shattered, the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. So what's he talking about there? He's telling them, listen, listen, we are a beat up people. We get it. We're beat up. And probably reminding us of the people of God who came out of Egypt. They, came, they were beat up in Egypt, but there was an end to that. And God will bring an end to this feeling that we get that things are just never going to go right or, or be the same again. He says, as in the day of Midian, if you're taking notes, write down Judges 6 through 8. That's when Gideon won in battle only because of the great power of the Lord. There was no way Gideon could have won that battle. No way. He was so far outnumbered. But it was the power of the Lord. And so what does is, what is Isaiah see? That there will be a time when God's people will be set free. There will be a time when the suffering ends. You know, when I was a new Christian or I was a younger pastor, people used to ask me about suffering. And I had great theological answers. Now, after all of these years and all the pain I've seen so many of you go through, my answer is, I don't know. Oh, I have a theological answer. That's not worth a hill of beans when people are suffering. It's worth absolutely nothing. But I can tell you this. God knows what it's like to suffer because his son, Jesus Christ, did on the cross. So I can tell you one thing. I know he cares. I know he cares. And I know he knows what it's like to suffer. And he knows what it's like to be under oppression. And he knows what it's like to have people put you down and not think much of you. And I think that, that the Lord wants us here to get a sense of relief, to know that it's going to be okay. And eventually the war will end. Verse five, for every warrior's sandal or boots from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood or the bloodied garments will be used for burning and fuel for the fire. So do you ever see those pictures of the, of the abandoned tanks that broke down on the sides of the war? He says, so he's kind of telling us, listen, the, the sandals, the boots, everything from the battle is going to be useless. It's going to be sent to the junkyard and what can be burned will use for fire. What's Isaiah saying? The enemy will lose because of you, Lord. And Isaiah is giving us a sense of security. How many of you right now would like a sense of security? You would like to feel secure that it's okay. And here's the thing. You can experience that. What do we always say around here? The key is to stop listening to yourself so much and to start preaching to yourself more. And to say that God has guaranteed me that I will experience his security if I listen to him. 
And if you're a follower of Jesus, that security is already yours. And Isaiah is saying, even in the difficult times in which he lives in, we praise you, Lord, because of your hope. We praise you, Lord, because of who you are. You say, okay, it's great. I get it. I get it. But how does it come about? For Isaiah, it was in the future. For us, it's partially in the past and partially in the future. How will it come about? A world-changing child will come. That is how it's going to change. That's point number three, the child of hope. The child of hope. What will this child be like? He will be a perfect ruler, a perfect leader. He will be the answer to all our fears. He will be sent by God himself. And if verse one through five didn't make a lot of sense to you, he's going to pull it all together for us. Thank you for joining us on today's edition of Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Would you like to hear this message again? Simply log on to our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. There, you can listen to archived broadcasts. We promise that your heart and life will be touched very specifically when you take the time to listen to Pastor Jim's easy-to-follow, verse-by-verse teachings of the Bible. Also, know that we are thankful for your continued support and prayers that allow us to bring our show to you. Through this holiday season and messages just like this one, may you find joy in the Savior Jesus Christ. He can give you peace that passes all understanding, even during this busy time. Will you make plans to join us again next time for another encouraging, comforting, and also convicting teaching of the Word of God? Please do. We hope to be with you next time here on Changed by Love.